I was reflecting what theme or themes to explore in this uh, month together in February. And I was drawn at least to start and to see how this resonates, to start with a theme of that's been very important for me, which is the importance of the body in our practice. And more generally, practicing with the body, with our bodies. And it's a very, very powerful theme for a number of reasons. It's been very, very central to my practice, I think from the beginning, which was over 30 years ago, in terms of my own personal practice. And it's been especially important the last 10 years in really giving a focus of practice. I think that it's a crucial area in which to develop to make our practice come alive in our daily lives. That awareness of the body is a very powerful tool for helping there to be mindfulness, presence, compassion, wisdom in daily life, particularly in an increasingly, we might say, mental culture. We're on the computers more, we're always looking at handheld objects. You know, someone from outer space would come and just see all these people looking at things in their hands you know, and reflect and say, hmm, we need a, we need a study of what that is about. You know. um, so with increasing, increasing, increasingly digitalized world, we seem to often not be so much with our bodies. So, so I, I believe that being present with our bodies is crucial for an everyday practice. It's also, uh, I think, quite a powerful area culturally in terms of reconnecting with our bodies, integrating body and heart and mind, I think may be the evolutionary task of the next few generations. And to integrate that with um, connection with the earth body. These may be the great evolutionary movements happening at this time, I believe so. Very much about a different relationship with the body. So what we do in our practice here, sitting here, being with the breath, being with the whole body, I believe has um, profound evolutionary significance. And very crucial also for our own personal uh, well-being. The area of the body is also quite mysterious in many ways. Um, We don't really know very well, we being kind of modern scientific culture, how the mind and the body connect. It's not really, people don't know how to think about that, you know, uh, philosophically or scientifically. It's, it's, um, it baffles people. In fact, for the Buddha, this was one of the questions which was unanswerable. The, the question, is the mind the same as the body or different? He thought was one that could not profitably be uh, investigated. It took one away from practical matters. And you can see that if you look at some of the, the um, philosophical or scientific work, we can explore in meditation and in various disciplines the connection of the mind and the body and the heart. But when they try to actually formulate what's going on scientifically, they don't get very far. It's interesting. It's interesting in that way. The, the, the body is quite a mystery. How is it that we can feel deeply connected with other people and in certain moments feel a union such that we, have, we might say we have one body and yet we have different bodies? How is unity possible? How can I feel connected with other bodies? How can I, in certain deeper spiritual states, feel more something like interconnection and unity? When don't we have different bodies? We can, we can experience at certain moments the seeming solidity of bodies dissolving. How do we understand that? It's mysterious. And I think this is something that we find in many, many traditions, this mystery. In Christianity, we have the resurrection of the body. 
how is that possible? You know, where the transfiguration of the body, or the mysteries of what we sometimes call the subtle body. In tantric Buddhism, the intention is not for the mind to get enlightened, but for the body to get enlightened through transforming the very body into a body of light. What is that about? It seems that when we enter fully into the body, it opens up into many worlds. And so it's a very very, uh, powerful area. And we could actually take probably five years every week for the next five years and not really um, get bored. You know, and in fact, a lot of my body practices that I've done, I've done focused on body practice, sometimes individual practices for a year or two at a time, you know, over quite a lot of years. So it's very much a, um, it's very much a large, powerful area that is mysterious, that opens us up really to the mystery, you know, to sit with our own bodies and we can invite this um, sense of mystery. You know, maybe some of those reflections about the relationship between mind and heart and body and the different levels of the body. The possibilities of bodily experience. It's a beautiful book by uh, Michael Murphy, who was the co-founder of Esalen, called The Future of the Body, in which he collects in 800 pages all sorts of um, mm, non-ordinary experiences of the body, whether it's the altered perception of athletes at very high levels of training when they go into the zone, right? And time slows down, and they can see everything, they feel interconnected, and, you know, Michael Jordan can actually fly. Have you seen that? He does. I'm joking a little bit, but, <laughs> but there, there, you know, or, or something happens that actually seems to stretch our ordinary way of being. And my, or it could be the experience of yogis who have devoted their lives to the transformation of the body and what's possible. And interesting book, you know, The, fu- he, the Future of the Body. Um, so that's the theme I want to enter into. And I was thinking, and I'll have to see how you like this at the end of the morning, but I was thinking actually to devote uh, four sessions, which would, which would actually give a beginning. You know, and were I to share as much as I wanted to, it probably would take six months. And that would be, in a way, just introducing certain things. But I was thinking in four weeks, what I was thinking of doing was giving a kind of introduction both to the topic and to particular practices that we would start if, if we feel called. And many of them are ones we're already doing or related to it, because I think, you know, when many of the core practices we do here are body practices. And then continuing with a focus on mindfulness of the body, then focusing on the body as a source for cultivating wisdom. And then also, I think, uh, I'm not sure of the order, but also a focus on compassion and the heart in relation to bodies. So that, would, that was my sense of a sequence. Uh, and we can, can see what is of interest and modify that, but that was, my, that was my thought. So I wanted to start today, really, by focusing, really, on two, maybe on three areas, say a little bit more about the importance of the body for practice. I've touched a lot of the reasons for that, but I want to maybe bring up a few more other areas. And then uh, focus especially on two areas. One is our attitudes towards our own bodies and towards bodies, which I think is very important to look at. And it's not necessarily a standard part of Buddhist practice. That is, to see what our attitudes are, some of them culturally inherited, some of them inherited from our family, 
that I think are a really crucial part of body practice, and it's a really good place to begin. Because most of us have, shall we say, ambivalent views of our own bodies. We'll unpack that some, you know, and it's not of our own making, a lot of it. it come, a lot of it comes from the culture. Um, so focus on that, and then focus on some initial body practices that we might, um, if we feel called, focus on in the next week and then report back next week. So maybe a few more words on the importance of the body uh, in our practice. Um, One perspective to see that importance is to see the ways that in an increasingly mental culture, the body is a tremendous resource and reference point to uh, gain mindfulness, really, and wisdom. That for many of us, to actually give attention to the body may have felt like a breakthrough initially. When we first were instructed, be with the breath or be with body sensations. I know for myself, you know, starting practice in my early uh, 20s and being a student at the time, I was just thinking all the time, you know. Even though I had been, as I've mentioned sometimes, I was quite uh, physical in the sense of I was a, uh, an athlete, a swimmer for, for 10 years competitively, so very much physically active and played a lot of sports and so forth, but um, I wasn't aware of my body. Interesting difference, right? Interesting difference, I think many of us know. And so when I started meditating, it was a revelation. It was like, as in, I think quite a few book titles, I was coming to my senses. I was not in touch with my sensory experience because I was thinking all the time, right? I was more in a mental zone. And how many people can relate to that experience? And probably some of you not so much, but maybe we're more in your bodies. That was certainly the case for myself, and I think it's the case for a lot of people who practice. So the body actually became an entryway to see more clearly, to have some, uh, uh, as it were, alternative viewpoint from which I could actually notice how much I was thinking, how much what my actual experience was, to let me really... um, notice my experience better by noticing especially my body and developing awareness, which I couldn't have done if I just focused on on my mind. So it becomes this way, in in a sense, the body becomes a resource, we might say, for breaking a kind of trance that we're often in. That's why it's really crucial for daily life, because often in daily life, we are in a kind of trance, right? It's just this thing, okay, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Let's turn on the radio. How about some music? Oh, yes. And a lot of that can be helpful, right? But how present are we? How much do we just continue with a kind of um, more automatic way of living? I mean, it's somewhat humbling to, to look at that, right? Awareness of the body in daily life helps us to break through that quite a bit and to come to being present very simply just by resting in the body. And it is, I believe, as I mentioned, very crucial culturally for helping. I think it's a big part. It's sort of our own personal counterpart of reconnecting with the earth. That's why I think practices like yoga or qigong or body practices are like the personal, who are attending to diet in a careful way, are like the personal aspects of developing sound ecology. You know, I think it's really the counterpart of giving attention to other bodies and to valuing non-human bodies, you know, animals and, and plants and ecosystems and so forth. So as we practice more, we, we enter into more and more of these um, ways 
of being aware of the body. And I actually wrote down a number of different practices that can open up with the body. It's really a, a lot of them, even in the, the Buddha's uh, text, core text, on mindfulness of the body, there are 14 practices, which include going to charnel grounds and watching decomposing bodies, and which we don't usually do at Spirit Rock, but... <laughs> uh, you know, or meditating on the different parts of the body. There are a lot of body practices. We typically focus on two that similar to the two which uh, I guided us in this, uh, this morning, uh, being with the breath and being with the sensations of the breath and then generalizing that to being with body sensations is a second core practice. And a third practice might be being with the whole body or having a general sense of the body as we move about in daily life. You know, and those are, those are great starting points for our body practice and wonderful practices, for example, just to focus on in the next week to really work on that. And it may, it may be not very different from what we do anyway, that, that kind of practice. But after we work with that, there are a number of other body practices that we can really develop that help fine-tune the awareness of the body, that help align body and mind and heart, that maybe start working with some of the energetic qualities of the body, which we might do in uh, qigong or, or other, other practices. And then there are ways of bringing the body practice into interaction, into being with others. Where, where I find grounding in the body is a very wonderful tool for being with others and, and keeping present. You know, how much in dialogue are we entirely mental or in meetings or at work? Are we just mental? We're thinking, okay, here's what I'm going to say after this person finishes or something like that. And, and grounding in the body, I think, helps us better to listen both to others and to ourselves. And there are actually practices, which I'd even invite you to do right now, of which we've done sometimes in this uh, morning class. Can you keep some body awareness as you listen to me? So it's not just listening to the content, as it were, of the talk, but being present to yourself. And some of you may already be doing this. It's a wonderful practice, further practice, a little more, um, what, um, complicated, and maybe has some prerequisites, but a wonderful practice to develop, something we'll all invite us to continue, just to keep, when you're talking with someone, in a meeting, being with a friend, keep a light body, bodily presence. It could just be a presence to your whole body. And, and experiment with that right now. It helps you keep a little bit of an inner awareness at the same time that you're interacting, which I think is one of the keys to bringing mindfulness into daily life. And not easy. Take some training to really... And that grounding in the body and actually having that be a practice for a while really helps in that way, to really give that ability to be present. And as I give my talk, I will try to do the same. <laughs> Not just you. <laughs> that I will uh, intend to keep awareness of my body as I speak so that I'm, I have this combination of inner and outer awareness. And the body is a tremendous resource for that. I think that's really also quite crucial for our world. So these two themes that I want to explore for the rest of the morning, uh, first, looking at our attitudes towards our bodies, and secondly, working with these initial body practices. I think it is crucial to explore what our attitudes are towards our bodies. And some of these are very much influenced by the culture, by the historical period we're in. Some of them are influenced by our family experience, by our own personal histories. But it's, it's very helpful to see that. On a large-scale cultural level, we're in a period in which there has been, despite all the interest in developing beautiful bodies, healthy bodies through yoga and so forth, or really being fit and so forth, which have their uh, merits, uh, we, we are in a cultural period 
in which generally there's a strong split between mind and body. You know, we can see that in a lot of the <coughs> historical roots of the last three or four hundred years in the European-influenced culture. North America, uh, Europe, mu increasingly much of the rest of the world. Um, that the split, which has really been there for quite some time with the, with the Greeks, there was, you know, if you look at Plato, there's a distinction between mind and the emotions and the body. And the body is definitely the lowest. The body is seen as the source of um, desires, which are seen as, as problematic. Can re and then there's the heart, which sometimes gets confused and sometimes is an ally of the mind in that model. And the mind or reason is where we have our deeper identity. And that becomes a cultural force which gathers momentum over, we might say, the last 2,500 years in the West and comes, comes up to this radicalization, which we know occurs with uh, Descartes, where he says, I think, therefore I am, right? Which very much influences uh, Western culture. Um, um, I heard one Buddhist wanted to change that and said, I am, therefore I think. <laughs> so, um, but we have that, that heritage, which on one level is philosophical, but has tremendous implications. Because certain, we tend, there tends to be an evaluation of the mind and reason as most valuable and the body as less valuable. And often the emotions are connected with the body. Now, there's also, there also are a number of ways that that very simple model gets mapped on to particular human groups. So men are taken to be more aligned with reason, women more with the body. You know, and this becomes a model which has influenced dramatically probably all of our lives. You know, um, indigenous people, people of darker skin, more connected with the body, less evolved, less valuable, right? Those are very strong models in the culture. And they have tremendous implications. You know, one of the studies that was deeply influential in the 1954 Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court case that outlawed desegregation, some of you may know, was a study in which it was shown that African-American children preferred white dolls because they considered white dolls more beautiful than African-American dolls. And this was a pretty well-done study that showed that what does that mean about the attitudes that those children have towards their own bodies? You know, or what, do, what, is the, what are the gender implications of this larger model? How has that influenced all of us? You know? and, I'm, and I know that many of us have probably dealt with these issues for a lot of years, right? or in some ways. And how much are they still with us? Very important to look at that. You know, how much that, how much we are split off from our bodies. How much we have negative views of our bodies. How much uh, there's also uh, shame in relation to our bodies. You know, it's very powerful. Um, how many people as teenagers didn't, did not like your bodies or thought there was at least a major flaw? <laughs> Right. I, you know, I know that when I had pictures, when I was a teenager, I thought my feet were too big and my neck was too long. Right. And what I found in talking with friends is that everyone had some version of that. And still, you know, I've, I've mentioned this from time to time, still when I go to get shoes, there's a residue of that. I think, well, let's, shouldn't we get a smaller size? <laughs> right? Um, you know, I've, the last few times I've got 11 and a half, let's not have 12. <laughs> right, so 
interesting, the residue still stays there from the conditioning as a teenager. And I think we can see this, you know, and we have, it's very important to look at, you know. And so there are these dimensions connected with gender, connected with um, ethnicity, uh, connected with, um, with age, you know. What are the attitudes towards the aging body or the older body in this culture? They're generally, um, uh, see the older body way more negatively than I think we find in other cultures, you know, where being an elder was something, was a being to be respected. And we have, in this culture, we have sort of a cult of youth, right? Where um, we have all sorts of ideas that lead us to adopt all sorts of practices, personal, you know, should I dye my hair? You know, should I do this? Should I do that? Uh, how do I look at my aging body? Do I, do I want to resist it? Do I want to deny it? You know? And so the whole area of aging is a powerful one. And I've been thinking of having a series on that as well and talked with a few people who might also be guest teachers on that topic. How many would be interested in that? Um, I, won't, I won't, from my reference point, I won't say who raised their hands and <laughs> what demographic data are connected with them. But, uh, but it's a powerful area, and it affects everyone, you know. It affects, um, um, I got an email from a friend who is um, in her early 40s, sort of just bemoaning that she was no longer part of the younger generation, right? And there's all this stuff, right? Stuff there that, that actually is, we can notice at certain moments. So it's very, very crucial to look at that. So how to explore our attitudes, you know, how to explore our attitudes to see what's there. I think it's a crucial part, maybe even a, uh, an important starting point for practicing with the body, just to see what our attitudes are. And partly I think it's very healthy to know that the attitudes are strongly cultural and familial. That if we have certain attitudes towards our bodies, it's probably only um, partly because of our own thinking. And probably very little, actually. And a lot of it comes very much culturally formed. So I think it's helpful to have that perspective because, I, as I mentioned, there's a lot of, there's a lot, can be a lot of shame around our bodies. You know? I was part of a, a program about nine years ago, a training program for about six months with people actually led by people from uh, Barcelona. It was called uh, Holistic Sexuality. And it really was more of an integrative spirituality that but looked at the relation of body and sexuality and spirituality and, and uh, the heart and so forth, and had very, a lot of very innovative practices. And one of the practices that we did was where we uh, stood before another person, it was a dyad practice, where we were asked to give me the history of your body from head to toe, and just to describe it you know, to the other person. And I think what we found almost universally was in describing the history of one body, one's body, for most people there was a lot of shame around certain parts of the body, certain aspects of the body, and it's a powerful area. So it's something that we can look at. So how to explore this? Part of it is just to be more mindful, to notice what's there, to have a special looking out for one's own thoughts and feelings about the body. You can also reflect, can also really reflect and uh, examine. You, know, you could ask the question, what are, you know, what are my own uh, attitudes about the body that are strongest now? Are there two or three attitudes that I have if I had to... Um, you know, maybe even to do a reflection right now, maybe for a minute or two. Just go inside and ask yourself, what are my own, and this is just for yourself, what are my own two or three strongest attitudes that are there for me? And they, they could be positive, they could be more negative, whatever they are. What's there for me? 
that really influences how I look at my own body. We can come back to discuss what you might have found um, in a few minutes, but I wanted just to name these different ways really to explore attitudes. One is trying to be mindful, noticing what's there. Noticing what's there at certain, in relation to certain very basic ways that we relate to our bodies, maybe related to food, related to how we uh, think we appear to others clothes, you know, we can notice our attitudes towards our body. And it takes a certain amount of courage to do this, because this is a hard area. If there is that element of shame, as I believe there is, it takes courage and a certain uh, willingness to look in challenging areas, and, and support also to do that. So we can look at our attitudes that come up maybe around food, how we appear, how we present ourselves. We can also... Um, work with loving-kindness and cultivate metta towards our bodies and compassion towards our bodies. To, to do that regularly, I think, is a really powerful practice. You know, it's challenging to have a body. Those of us here at this point don't have a choice. <laughs> you know, we, we have bodies, it's challenging, you know. There are glories and beauties as well, but it has its challenges. So we can look at those attitudes, we can hold ourselves with um, loving kindness and, and compassion, being aware of the vulnerability of our bodies. We can hold ourselves in that way, um, you know, having these attitudes of loving kindness, compassion, maybe even gratitude. You know, gratitude for being born, for having a body. From a meditative point of view, there are a number of practices which we can do, and I want to really close with just naming a few of these practices, and then we can talk together, which which is which I hope will be be rich. The first foundation of mindfulness <clears throat> in the core teachings of the Buddha is mindfulness of the body. And as I mentioned, there are 14 practices there, of which we probably typically do the first three or four. And some of, some of you may be interested. They're sometimes taught. Increasingly, some of those other ones are, are taught. But, you know, it's that, you know, even the practice of being at the charnel grounds and looking at decomposing bodies, it's something we can do in other ways. We can notice we can study impermanence. We can study, we can go to the, the woods and look at trees decomposing, you know. Or if there ever is a dead a body, we can be with that, an animal or possibly a human being. It's quite powerful, you know, if you, if you have the chance to be with, um, with death in that way. To, but we really want to start with more fundamental practices. We want to start with the mindfulness of breathing, which is a wonderful way just to connect with uh, body sensations. And we can use mindfulness of breathing as a way to study our bodily experience in tremendous depth, just from that one practice. For the Buddha, mindfulness of the breathing was the practice which he used, which took him all the way to liberation, this one practice. It's a very simple practice, but as we go deeper, we can use mindfulness of the breathing to be in contact with the body, to stabilize attention, to develop concentration, to develop a still mind so we can see more clearly, to 
um, contemplate the changing nature of experience, to study the relationship between mind and body, to um, look at how, what takes us away from just watching the flow of experience and where we get caught or stuck. All of this can be done through mindfulness of breathing. So what I'll be suggesting is that we take one or two practices, possibly one or two or three practices in the next week and commit to them. And it could be just the mindfulness of breathing which we're already doing, but have a special emphasis on really noticing um, the body. And you can come back to the mindfulness of breathing during the day. It's a wonderful way in the midst of stress to just come back to the body and release the stress. You can do mindfulness of the breathing at meetings while you're driving. Practice it first loosely as you're driving so that you don't get too concentrated on the breath during driving. That wasn't you know, a problem in the time of the Buddha. So, you know, people walking, they could kind of work out the, the speed wasn't as great. So, um, and then be aware, the second practice is just being aware of other body sensations. You know, you can be aware of um, taste. Take your eating as a chance to explore the nature of sensation, the nature of body. Explore the different senses, feeling, um, touch, taste, um, you know, even sight. What is it like to see all these bodies around? That's what our sight puts us in contact with, all these forms, human bodies, non-human bodies, and so forth. But to especially work, I think, with mindfulness of our own body sensations. It's the second practice. And thirdly, to be with our own uh, whole body as we're moving through life to ground in the body, to keep coming back to the body in our experience, and to strengthen that ability to be present in the flow of daily life. Sometimes it takes a little more attention. For me, I took as a primary practice being aware of my whole body, I think for about two years. That was my primary practice. And I did that sometimes on retreats, just aware of the whole body for a week or two weeks or three weeks at a time and then tried to bring that into daily life. And at a certain point, it got ironed into consciousness. And it's more of a default awareness now, not so much an effort. But that practice, very crucial. And so what I'll invite you to do in the next week, if you feel so called, is to choose which of these practices appeal to you. Take at least one. But you might, so it might just be mindfulness of breathing and really do that, or mindfulness of breathing and mindfulness of the body. Or you might also want to bring in that attention to your attitudes and also the loving kindness towards body. But that, if that feels like too much, you know, maybe, I think maybe just do mindfulness of the breathing and, and try to look at your attitudes. That's a lot just to do those two. So naming these practices. I'll, I'll invite us to, to, to explore that. And it really is to, again, I think to continue a process that many of us have been doing for a long time. But it's a very, it's a very powerful uh, area. And maybe I'll close with um, a quotation. This is from, uh, I think I'll give um, two quotations from uh, the Thai teacher, Achan Moon, who's the teacher of Achan Cha, who some of you may have met. I, I studied with him a little bit. He, he died in the early 90s. And he was the teacher of Jack Kornfield. So Achan Moon died around 1950, and there's an amazing biography of him. Uh, but he was a, a forest monk and basically wandered through the forest, of, the rainforest of Thailand in the first half of the 20th century. And this is what he said. In your investigation, never allow the body to desert the mind for anywhere else. In your investigation, never allow the body to desert the mind for anywhere else. So let's just sit for a moment. 
So thank you for your attention. And if you'd like to, continue to keep some awareness of your body as we talk, and I will intend the same. We have a little under 15 minutes. If you'd like to, we could talk. It's, it's a rich area, isn't it? Kind of can be intense, right? The body is... <laughs> Any reflections or questions? Please. Yeah. And usually painful bodies. Yeah. So when you say being aware of one's body, for me, I am never really, I think, not aware of my feet mm -hmm. because they are sore yeah. pretty much all the time. Yeah. Oh. And I think I have a question, and that is being aware of painfulness is what I relate. Yeah. But I'm wondering if that's what you're talking about. And I sense it's a multitude of things. Right. That's a great question. And your name is? Lori. That Lori's question was about um, when we're talking about um, being aware of the body or exploring the body, um, I seem to be talking about a multitude of aspects. And her, uh, a strong experience, if not predominant, is that of... Uh, painful body, you know, and, and often the subject of conversation. Yeah, it is really to be aware of the body in a multitude of ways. And one of the inventions that we tune in on is whether things are pleasant or unpleasant. And our body obviously um, actually speaks to us uh, usually when things are pleasant or unpleasant. And when they're kind of neutral, it says, you know, go attend to something else. <laughs> Um, and it's challenging, so there's, there's chronic pain, really, and that's, that can be quite challenging, right? And the, um, probably in a multitude of ways, right? And um, I've had personally that at, at times. Um, I ha actually have a, um, I have a type of arthritis that has, um, at its worst, uh, been rather disabling, which um, luckily it's been, um, uh, acupuncture has been pretty amazing, plus a lot of uh, herbal uh, anti-inflammatories. But, but still, and I've also had a lot of dental work, but that's my personal contact with mortality, <laughs> um, one of them at least. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the key for awareness is can I be balanced with, with the experience? And sometimes, if that's hard, then we might want, if that's too hard, then we might want to um, sometimes use something that makes it better able to be balanced. So really, there, yeah, there are a multitude of ways to relate uh, to all different aspects of experience including um, the painful body is a hard way to relate, but a, a lot of the, and we'll, I was going to come to this a little later, but one of the core teachings that's very powerful that we get is really a wisdom teaching. It's, it's about the possibility of being with what's unpleasant without adding to the pain, without reacting. That's why meditation is such a powerful tool in the medical context because people can learn not to basically tense around the pain, which will increase the pain. And in fact, probably for people who are tensing around pain, there's way more pain from the tension than from the actual stimulus. So, um, but that's, that, that's challenging, right? It's, it's nonetheless challenging. But we can learn to relax more, just have the sensations be what they are. It's one major way that meditation can help. Um, anything else? Anything else you want to say in response? It's a starting point, right? Okay, but it's yeah. Um, please, yeah. Well, kind of along those same lines, when I first really 
concentrate and paying attention to my body. Um, and still, <laughs> when I really pay attention, what I notice is, ooh, my shoulder hurts and my knee hurts, or there's something I, I'm walking around blissfully unaware of that <coughs> most of the time. <laughs> and then, but then when I go inward, there it is. Yeah. But in terms of pleasant, neutral, and unpleasant, I don't, I can't relate to thinking about having a positive, a pleasant body feeling. It's kind of neutral or unpleasant. I can definitely think about that in terms of emotions. Mm -hmm. But the body, so what am I missing? <laughs> so everyone hear the question? Repeat it. So the question is, when I look to, when I look to my own body, I definitely notice unpleasant sensations. In fact, I notice them. I notice unpleasant sensations that I wouldn't have otherwise noticed. So the kind of hidden question is, why bother? <laughs> <laughs> why bother or why, why meditate if it just helps me to be aware, more aware of niggling pains that otherwise I would blissfully ignore and just you know, listen to the radio or something. So what's the point? Um, and, and then, but I don't seem to experience so much pleasant uh, experiences in the body, so am I missing something? And of, of course we can, we can point to food. You probably weren't thinking about food. Okay, so food. She said, how, "How do you feel when you laugh?" I thought, "Oh yeah." Yeah. Great. Or in a how about a hot bath? Oh yeah. Massage. <laughs> Massage. We have several people who are actually we have probably a number of um, professionals here who are willing to, at a modest fee, <laughs> help you explore very pleasant body experiences, right? So, um, but yeah, I think actually you know I would. Turn the question back on you, maybe for the next week. Yeah. Explore yeah. and notice. Is there maybe a pleasant sense of the body when you are in a comfortable chair, or when you are really relaxed, or with certain, you know, in a bath, obviously, or something like that? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I just blocked out that whole, <laughs> whole good side. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, we, we, we often do that. We often focus more on the problems, right? And forget what all the good things. Yeah, please. Yeah. You know, when I'm, when I'm sitting and, I feel, and my body feels neutral, I don't feel any pain, I feel a sense of gratitude, and it's sort of like the body's connected, maybe the body's connected with the mind in a sense, or the heart, in that there are so many things that can go wrong with the body, as we hear at the end of our sitting here. Yeah. And so... I'm sitting there and I'm not feeling anything in my body. I feel gratitude. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Did everyone here? So it was a reflection that. And you remind Debbie. me that Debbie, when Debbie's um, experiences just a neutral body feeling, it often, you know, maybe reminded sometimes by our reflections at the end of the sitting, uh, that she feels gratitude simply for things. You know, not being there, not being a problem, right? Some, is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. See, you had Cynthia. You had your hand up earlier, and you know, and then. You know. I am with bodies at work all day long. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel so many layers before I even touch the body. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of um and also sometimes I will forget my own body. And well in at at, while, at work, yeah. While yeah. I'm focused on another body. Yeah. And I am reminded very quickly Oh yes, I need to also be thinking about my own body. 
Yeah. 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 Which I did experience because I, I did my first silent retreat and the day I got back to work I had five. Which was the day after I had five. Yeah. <laughs> and I was so present. Yeah. And it made me realize how much of the time I'm not that present. Yeah. So this is uh, yeah. So Cynthia is a massage therapist, and. Uh, yeah, and what, what helps you? You mentioned feeling overwhelmed at times. And what helps you to not be so overwhelmed? Because it, it is, I just want to say, it is a large area. I mean, it opens up in all these areas. You know, we could probably, I mean, people do graduate degrees in somatics, right? Yeah. And who are in somatic psychology, you know. And there are books and books, you know. And it's a vast area, you know. And like I said, we could study this you know, uh, we could easily take six months and feel like we were just beginning, right? Right, and yeah. everybody also brings up different yeah. issues in the way the person responds to mm-hmm. the work. And what really helps me is to go back to my loving kindness practice. Yeah. Metta really helps yeah. with me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and relate to the person that way. Yeah. That's a crucial, it's a really crucial practice given all that we talked about. I was even thinking in relation to Lori's question that the loving kindness is, I imagine that you, you do that quite a bit, I'm guessing. But, but um, not to put you on the spot, but, <laughs> but that um, just, just that quality of compassion with, with with bodies that sometimes aren't so comfortable, you know, just to hold that is is really a big help. Maybe last last one, and then we'll have to finish, please. Uh, it's kind of a follow up on Debbie's uh, statement. Um, I've had a challenge the last two weeks with my body, where I've had to have a biopsy, yeah. and it turned out to be fine. And I found myself uh, being really grateful, and. It's going to sound kind of a little strange, but apologizing to my body for having having been so um, critical over the years and thinking of changing some things maybe in my body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, it was a wake-up call for me. Now I feel really grateful about Mm -hmm. how uh, more or less well as I age, it's still Mm -hmm. working quite nicely. Yeah. So again, I'll just repeat this so everyone can hear. It's wonderful reflections um, sparked, we might say, by a biopsy and that led her to see really how sometimes she's been critical towards her body and moving more towards a, uh, as, as, we, as I've heard it said, a, an attitude of gratitude. <laughs> Or, or I heard someone, someone, someone had a great phrase. Let me see if I can think it. The um, I don't know whether it's the penultimate attitude is gratitude. <laughs> um, but having, but also seeing where one's been critical, you know, and and really coming back, really again, maybe to a uh, an approach that holds everything more in compassion. Yeah. So that's a huge area. How many of you would like to do one or two of those practices I mentioned for the next week? Uh, okay, you're signed up. <laughs> and so just, I'll just repeat them and then we'll just sit for a moment to close. I'll just mention some of the practices that were named. And take at least one of these and you may want to take one or two or three. One is just being with the breath as a key reference point for being with the body. For many of us, it's the main tool that we use in our meditation. 
that might not involve anything very different. And similarly, a second practice is being with body sensations when they become predominant. And we could follow that practice both in formal meditation and in uh, the flow of daily life, when we eat, when we're walking, when we're just noticing what's present in our bodies, sensations, and so forth. A third practice is one that we might start, especially in meditation, that's awareness of the whole body. And we really use that very much like we use the breath. It becomes the object of meditation. We try to have a general sense of our body. And when the mind wanders, we bring it back. You know, and that, that potentially becomes a great tool for bringing into daily life. But that's something that we probably first would develop in meditation. So if it, that appeals to you, you might do the last 10 minutes of every sitting doing that, something like that. A fourth practice is loving-kindness, especially intended to the body, loving-kindness towards my body, or if you want to do loving-kindness towards others' others' bodies. But starting especially with oneself. And the last practice, maybe I'm calling this the fifth practice, is to track your attitudes towards your own body. Just track the kind of attitudes which you find in your experience in relationship to your own bodies, and especially looking at times when that might come up. And so, you know, just to name a few areas, how we present ourselves to others, maybe food, perhaps something to do with uh, our health could be around sexuality. Just to name uh, several areas where our attitudes towards our bodies do come up. And just to track that, just to notice what's there. So I'll invite these practices and we'll um, come back. I'll take us a little further into the, this exploration next time. And I'll, I'll, I'll reflect on which ways to go. But I know I want to be bringing in some further work with mindfulness and some further work with uh, body practice as a cultivation of wisdom and body practice as a cultivation of compassion and loving kindness. So that'll be somewhat like somewhat the sequence. So let's just sit for a minute or two to close. Letting be present any of your own intentions that may have been sparked. And if you have something else that really is central for you in your life and practice, and this doesn't feel appropriate, but you, you know, or it may be appropriate not as your main focus, and that's fine also. So we close by recognizing that we do this practice not just for ourselves, but also for others. And may the fruits of our time together be offered outwardly beyond this hall out into the world for the benefit and healing and freedom of all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.